Welcome to the Metro Church Podcast. Metro exists to exalt God and equip people. Here at Metro, we long to become a community that celebrates the presence of God, communicates the Word of God, demonstrates the love of God, and educates the people of God. Everything we do revolves around this core mission and vision. We are so glad you are here today to listen to this week's podcast. It is our prayer that this message encourages you and equips you to be like Christ in all aspects of your life. Enjoy today's message. Luke chapter 9, verse 10. Like I said, church, we're in a series entitled Giving Thanks. Yesterday, or last Sunday, pastor took us through a story of the 10 lepers. One thing that really stuck out to me from that story was the several layers of renewal and healing that the lepers experienced in front of Jesus. But it only evoked gratitude in one of the ten. I was challenged leaving Sunday to see, truly see, all that God has really done for me. And to give him all the glory, give him the thanks, and not to take any credit. I'm worried sometimes when we look at our life that we take credit for what, for what is happening in our life. But we all know that there is a God working in the background, making all things beautiful. Amen, church. Today, I've decided to use the overly cliche phrase, WWJD, what would Jesus do? I asked myself the question about giving thanks. Did Jesus ever practice gratitude in the scriptures in a way that we can see explicitly? And throughout the Gospels, there are four instances in which Jesus himself give thanks. It says in the text that he gave thanks. There are four instances, and it was always directed to the Father. The first is when he fed the 5,000. He gave thanks. The second is when the 72 missionaries that he had sent back, they come back to him, and he says, God, I give you thanks that you reveal these, to not to the learned or to the wise, but to your children. The third time is right before he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. He says, I give thanks, and then a miracle happens. And the last time is when he is with his apostles and in the upper room and the, the Lord's table, the Last Supper, and there he breaks the bread and he gives thanks. These are the four moments throughout the gospel. I can't go into all four of these vignettes this morning, but I have chosen two to focus on. Why did Jesus give thanks when he's about to feed the 5,000? And why did Jesus give thanks at the Last Supper? I'm going to read both of these texts. First, let's look at Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 10. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it, and they followed. So Jesus welcomed them, and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who needed healing. Verse 12, late in the afternoon, the 12 came to Jesus and said, Lord, please send this crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are here in a remote place. Jesus replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, we have only five loaves and bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all these people. About 5,000 men were there. But Jesus said to his disciples, have them all sit down in groups, about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke it 
Then he gave them to the disciples to give to the people. All the people ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces that were left over. Now turn to me with Luke chapter 22. Let's stay in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 14. Luke chapter, two, Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 14. Here's what it says. Then came the hour, Jesus said to his apostles, and reclined at the table. And Jesus said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Verse 17, after taking the cup, he gave thanks. And he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you, I will not drink from it again, the fruit of the vine, until the kingdom of God comes. In verse 19, then he took the bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it. And he gave it to them and said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Church, in these two texts, I believe Jesus is giving us instances on when we give thanks. When we give thanks. The first story, point number one, is this. We need to learn to give thanks in scarcity when we don't have enough. We need to give thanks in scarcity. The second story, we need to give thanks in sorrow. We need to give thanks even when we're suffering. The main idea this morning, church, is this. Gratitude turns what we have into enough. Gratitude takes what we have and turns it into enough. Amen? Church, I know for many that celebrate Thanksgiving, this is not the easiest time of year. Especially over the last two years, it's been full of sorrow. So we might come to the Thanksgiving table with sorrow in our heart. It would be foolish for us to deny that everything is all right and jump into the festive Thanksgiving parties all around us. Jesus shows us that it is actually more in the life of a believer to show thanks, not in the midst of plenty or pleasure, but the believer shows thanks in the midst of scarcity and sorrow. I remember when growing up, my parents, we used to, we used to live in, a, in the 80s. We used to live in a small house in Mesquite, Texas. My parents would host out-of-town pastors, visitors, all our extended family. Almost every weekend, we had people at our house. We lived in a small three-bedroom home, and one of those three bedrooms was always filled with a guest. I, me and my brother would always fight to have our own room. We had to share a room. Because that other room always belonged to someone that did not live in our house, usually a pastor. My mom would always make food on Sunday morning, like the best kinds of food for guests. But one thing that she would always worry about in the back of her mind is, will will there be enough? Because you never know. My dad, on Sunday morning, he would invite everybody to our house without ever consulting my mom. She would, he would go around, and because of his welcoming, generous attitude, he would include others. And before we knew, there's a long line of cars going to our house. Interestingly, my mom would never complain about this. She never complained about having the additional guests. It's almost like she knew. It's like God told her ahead of time. It was her spiritual gift of hospitality. She knew just how much to make because God told her ahead of time. My mom would serve the guests generously and openly, and there would always be enough, and everybody would eat and was satisfied, and they would compliment my dad for everything. 
People were happy. Our house was full of joy and laughter. Church, we were not rich people. We didn't feed people delicacies. We didn't have a mansion. We were not famous. But there in that small house, gratitude multiplied. Thanksgiving multiplied. Why? Because gratitude turns what we have into enough. Society paints that plenty and pleasure is what Thanksgiving is about. But Jesus shows us something much more deep than that. Can we open up our hearts this morning and ask the Holy Spirit, teach me, Father, to be a grateful person this morning. Amen? First, in Luke chapter 9, verse 10 through 17, Jesus tells us to give thanks in scarcity. Luke takes these two stories in 9, chapter 9 and 22, and he uses very similar language. Even when I was reading it to you, you probably noticed very similar language. Luke does that on purpose so that we would compare and contrast these two stories to gain deeper revelation. First, in Luke chapter 9, verse 11, it's the story of feeding the 5,000 men and their families after hearing Jesus beautifully preach about the kingdom of God. In verse 12, the disciples turn to Jesus and they can feel the growing responsibility of having this huge crowd in this space. Not only was it a regular space, it was a remote location. That means far away from everything, scarce, a large crowd. And Jesus, they say, Jesus, send them all away. So what? They can go find food, find lodging, because we are in a remote place. These words show us how scarce the disciples were, you tell them to find something in a scarce place. Then Jesus turns to them in verse 13, almost like a typical Indian dad. No, you give them something to eat. Only Jesus would say something so ridiculous, so impossible. In such scarce, dire situations, Jesus looks so foolish, naive, and out of touch. Jesus tells them, you give them something to eat. What do the disciples do? They go try to find some food. Jesus' command is give. What do they do? They go find. It's subtle. The command is subtle. But it shows you how Jesus and his disciples are operating on two different kinds of software. The disciples are thinking scarce. And Jesus, because of his father, always thinking abundance. They go searching, and they come back in verse 13 to 14. They say, Father, uh, Jesus, we've only found five loaves and two fish. I like that word, only. They weren't even thankful for what they had. They said, man, Jesus, this is only this much. So what do they say? We need to go buy food for all these people. I like that word, buy. It means that they have to go produce it. We need to go produce and buy food for all these people. You can sense their scarcity. If any of you have any kind of administrative gifts right now, many of you do, you're thinking, man, I got way more questions than that. Do we have enough money? Do I have enough energy? <laughs> do these stores locally have enough for all these people? Jesus doesn't even address any of their scarcity questions or their thoughts. He says, get everybody ready. Man, I would say, for what? <laughs> for the biggest flop in history. Get everybody ready. For what? For a meal. How? You just get them seated. You get them seated. 
Jesus, in verse 16, takes the loaves, all that they had. He put it in his hands. He turned to heaven. He gave thanks. And he broke the bread. Something shifted in that scarce place. Something in the natural world began to change when Jesus looked to heaven and he gave thanks. Gratitude turned what they had into enough. The disciples went from finding to now giving. Jesus says, now give these food to people. The original command was give. They acted with find. When Jesus thanked God, now they went back to giving. They went and gave and distributed to everyone. The text says in verse 17, they kept giving and giving and giving and giving. And to their astonishment, everyone was satisfied. And there was one basket left over for each of them. Jesus gave thanks. And when he did, our finding turned into giving. When Jesus gave thanks, the scarcity turned into satisfaction. Have you ever felt like this, that you don't have enough, but God says, give? You don't have enough, but God says, trust me. Be grateful for what you have. You know, my dad is a mathematician, and for him, the world is black and white. Everything is numbers to my dad. He's a quality assurance guy, too. <laughs> so growing up, I did not like math. My dad would stay up with me late at night to help me with my homework. Even now, I get a little traumatized when my kids bring the times table home. <laughs> I feel like someone's going to hit me. One night, I was just so fed up with the math, and I said, Dad, you're never going to use math in the real world. Nobody uses math around us. My dad just remained quiet. And I said firmly, I think I even stood up. I said, well, our family, we believe in God. We worship God. And you don't need math to worship God. My dad still remained quiet. You see, as I was lecturing my dad, full of the maybe the Holy Spirit, um, I said, God doesn't care about math. I felt very secure in my logic, and I sat down because I finally felt like I won the argument. My dad quietly starts singing, count your blessings, name them one by one, count your many blessings, see what God has done. And then when he's counting, he's going, count your blessings, count, 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 math, 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 math. I rolled my eyes, and he said, without math, you cannot count your blessings. God wants us to use math, so you need to learn your times table. Later, as I grew up, I realized there's a whole book named Numbers. Anyways, <laughs> count your blessings in the midst of your scarcity. It is not only, but God has given us bread and fish in this moment, and what we have is enough. When we live in a world where they are constantly finding, and God is saying, give. And they are finding and looking and never satisfied. Jesus teaches his believers, we are not like them. We don't go searching and looking and looking until we're satisfied with what we have. We give, and gratitude tells us it is enough. We live in a world that says there's not enough food. We live in a world with not enough health care workers. You remember early on in the, in the pandemic, we didn't even have enough toilet paper either. 
Not enough. Not enough electronics. Not enough good guys to marry. Our metro, our metro online messages are never good enough. Not enough money. Not enough power. Not enough fame. Not enough reputation. And Jesus says, stop looking at that. Stop going for more and more. Stop. Go and give. When we switch from finding to giving, from scarcity to believing in satisfaction, it makes the world realize that our Father never runs out. We are a grateful people. Do you feel scarcity in your own life? The antidote right now is to count your many blessings. Church, would you just take a moment and confess to God, sorry, God, for saying I don't have enough. Sorry, God, for driving through that neighborhood and saying, I want that, I want that. Sorry for looking at that car and saying, I want that, I want that. Sorry, Lord, for looking at everyone else's clothes and electronics and saying, I want that, God. Forgive us for being that kind of scarce people, God. But, Lord, help us to look to heaven and count every single blessing you have given us. Because, church, even in the moments of scarcity, God calls us to give thanks. I break what little I have, and I give it to God. And in the face of scarcity, I give thanks. Amen. The second thing is this. In the second story, verse chapter 22, Luke now fast forwards us, the reader, to another moment when Jesus gives thanks. This is the moment the moment with the 5,000, I have to admit, if I was a disciple, I would be amazed. That moment would be etched in my memory forever. We did not have enough, and he prayed and gave thanks, and we had enough. He broke the bread, and the bread never stopped until everyone was satisfied. Now, here they are in chapter 22, verse 14. They are reclined for dinner. Jesus says an interesting phrase in verse 15. He says, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Jesus tells us not to give thanks only in our scarcity, but he teaches us to give thanks in our suffering and in our sorrow. I eagerly desire to have this Passover before I suffer. So Jesus comes into this dinner party, this supper, carrying sorrow in his heart. Many of us come to Thanksgiving thinking we should be happy. But some of us are coming into Thanksgiving with sorrow in our heart. And Jesus knows what that feels like. He knows what it means to have suffering and sorrow in your heart. These are the moments, you know, that when I'm teaching college students, they, they can't believe that Jesus knows that he's going to suffer. These are the moments that you wonder about Jesus' humanity. How can he be human? How can a man be truly ready for the physical, relational, emotional, even cosmic suffering that is about to come upon him? How can a person face suffering and sorrow knowingly? It's easy to dismiss this question by saying, oh, because he's God, that's why. If you take that answer, that doesn't really get to the bottom of what's going on. That renders this entire story powerless if you just say, oh, it's because he's God. Our doctrine says that he's a 100% man and 100% God. 
So Jesus, he comes with suffering in his heart. And he teaches us the only way you can really face suffering is if you have gratitude in your heart. Jesus is teaching us to be a new way to be human, a new way to live in the world around us, is in the midst of suffering, show gratitude. But how? Look what Jesus does. In the next verse, he takes the wine, he takes the bread, he looks to heaven, he gives thanks, and he breaks it. If I were one of the disciples in that dinner party, my mind would race back to feeding the 5,000. In the midst of scarcity, my Jesus, in a remote place, he took the bread, he looked to heaven, he gave thanks, and he broke it, and everything changed for those 5,000 people. Now in the middle of our sorrow, now in the middle of his suffering, my Jesus, he takes the bread, he looks to heaven, he gives thanks, and he breaks it. What happens? What happens? At that moment, Jesus says to his disciples, this is my body. Do this in remembrance for me, remembrance of me. This word remembrance is deep. It's more than just remembering something. It's a grateful remembrance. With gratitude in your heart, I'm breaking my body. Remember this. Somehow, supernaturally, from this moment forward, as you go through the book of Luke, the urgency, the speed of the story begins to pick up. It is an incredible pace what happens next. Jesus breaks the bread, and what begins to happen? All the suffering, all the sorrow begin to grow and grow and grow and grow through the gospel of Luke. Jesus Christ bears our shame. He becomes, he takes on our pain. He takes on our sin and our brokenness. All the wrath of God the Father comes down upon Jesus. Jesus, the bread of life, and he gives thanks, and the bread of life was broken. What happens now? All the justice of heaven, all the holiness of heaven, all the righteousness of heaven was satisfied. Abundance flowed when Jesus broke the bread. Abundance flowed for all of us when the bread of life was broken. Even in sorrow, Jesus teaches us, even in suffering, even enduring the cross, you can endure these things in life if, like Jesus, we understand that you give thanks through the suffering in your life. And the thing is, his gratitude, his gratitude towards heaven, his gratitude turned what he had into enough for all of us, enough to free us from our bondage, enough to cleanse us from our sins, enough to heal us of our diseases, enough to make everything right with heaven, enough to adopt me and you as children of the Most High God, enough to make us innocent before him. Gratitude turned what he had into enough for all of us because he had gratitude in his heart. Church, can we take a moment to thank God? Not simply because of all of our, our physical blessings, but more than anything else, he lavishes his spiritual blessings upon us. Church, do you know, do you know what this means? That you and I have eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
anytime that we come here and, 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 we, and we go through the pain of a funeral, do you know that we have great hope because we know that he is the life, the resurrection, and the life. Church, do you know that right now we can sing with great gratitude in our heart? It doesn't matter if I don't have enough. It doesn't matter if I have sorrow in my heart. Jesus taught me to give thanks in all circumstances. Amen. Here's the thing. Throughout the Gospels, if you were reading the Gospels, you really thought everything finished at the cross, that he died and he was defeated. He would be, be full of scarcity. But the kingdom teaches us that resurrection power awaits those who have gratitude in their heart. You see, church, everything that you thought was dead in your life, every dream you thought was dead, every business plan you thought was dead, Every hope you had for your children you thought was dead. The moment you give thanks, you'll start to see resurrection power released in your life. I know I didn't talk about it, but Lazarus was dead in the grave. And then Jesus showed up, and what did he do? He gave thanks to the Father. And what, what was dead came right back to life. Church, if you are feeling stuck in your life right now, if you think that the, 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 the opportunities in your life lay dormant and dead, I know the answer for you. Turn to heaven and give thanks this morning. Church, whether it was scarcity with the 5,000, whether it was sorrow with the 12, Jesus looked to heaven, gave thanks, and he broke the bread. Let us do the same thing. Church, I want to move this into a time of reflection this morning. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If there is anything we can do to continue equipping you in your pursuit to be like Jesus, then please do not hesitate to reach out to us on our website at metrochurch.us. Also, if you found today's message to be inspiring and informative, then please share it with your family and friends and leave a review on this podcast platform or on our website. Again, thank you for joining us. We are so grateful for you. Have a great week and God bless you and your family.